now it's recording. Okay. Would you hit that middle button for the recording? Uh, this big thing. This one right uh, there. That one. that one right there. Uh, yeah, I think we're good. <clears throat> All right. Um, well, first off, um, do we have any questions? Any questions that uh, that anybody has? Has anybody been reading their Bible throughout the week at all? What um, what you guys been reading? Everything. Everything? What you what book you been studying? Uh, I just read two pages, two to three Noel, and then Proverb, and then one page in New. That's good. What book you in the Old Testament? Uh, just finished Second Samuel. Second Samuel. Okay, I'm I'm catching up to you. So you just oh so you're gonna you're moving on to First Kings. Yeah. I'm just finishing Second Kings. And then, and then I got to go back to First Samuel. I'm going backwards. Okay. Um, Samuel's good though. Samuel, you learn you learn about David and Saul, and David fleeing from Saul and stuff, aren't you? In the battles with Israel yeah, and the Philistines, David, and David just died. David just died. So then Solomon comes up, and then you get into when Solomon starts building his temple in the Book of Kings and stuff. Yeah. Um, what about you, Alana? What have you been reading? And reading Exodus and Ecclesiastes. I just started a Roman study with Breaker. Oh, that's good. You've been studying, doing Romans. Yeah, Romans is a great book, obviously, in the New Testament. Exodus is a probably one of the best books out of the book of Mo, out of the books of Moses. Exodus is probably my favorite. Um, uh, is there well any other any questions? Oh, um, I mean, it's not on the books I'm reading, but how should I like balance? Like, since I'm going to be working, like pretty much. Mm-hmm. How should I balance, like... How should you balance everything? Well, number one, I would definitely think... Uh, I would definitely write, make a schedule if you're a person that writes things down. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like, like John Paul has been doing, you have to make it a habit. You have to somehow make it a habit to at least get your... Regardless of what you're doing, whether you're doing it... Do you have a break while you work? No break. I don't think so. Okay. Well, so then you're only working how many hours in a day? Seven. So you're working seven hours, and they don't give you no break. That's kind of, I thought that's, like, illegal. <laughs> no, because I'm over Is, 16. They don't have to give me a break. What? Yeah, if you're 16, they have to give you a break. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> um, you, you will get slow times, though. Yeah, to yeah where, that's probably what it is. It's like, to where you're not, like, doing much. Um, do you have ear pods or anything? I would probably like have an earpod in too, and you could like listen to the audio or something. But regardless, the first thing you do when you wake up should be let me at least read my daily proverb, and then literally it, it only takes if you're reading like you're reading three actual pages, so you're technically reading six, right? Five, it depends on what count people. Five to six. Five to six actual pages, like you're talking like five, five, five. like front and back, one page, two page. So oh, so chapters. Five to six chapters. Well, that's good because yeah. sometimes that ends up being like ten pages at least. No, five at most chapters. Okay, five at most chapters. That's that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to do. But you know, try at least to get your your reading in. It's been hard to try and find a balance between like trying to read and then also trying to read like other books outside of that, even like for school and then also school and then now work and then like you know sometimes I like to do like art and stuff and. Mm-hmm. Well, then you gotta then you gotta think about well, what's your priority? What's the most important there to where you can't compromise on? And it should be Bible reading. Yeah. That should be like regard. Um, if 
you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm getting ideas for, you know, artwork and things or, I mean, of course, homework, too. Well, yeah. That's, that's a big one. That takes up, I don't know, probably like four, you know, four or five hours. That's, that's a tough one. And, um, and at the end of the day, you, you may just have to just, you know, maybe not set as high as, as you know, too high. Don't kill yourself with it. But, you know, definitely, definitely try to read at least, you know, two chapters in the Old yeah. Testament in a, in a passage in the New Testament or something. Yeah. Or just read, like, short books like the Book of Titus or something. Yeah. Or, like, you know, something short that you could kind of hang out in for a while. But I would still recommend get your Old Testament books, just like JP was saying. Do your Old Testament and do a New Testament study or reading, which is obviously different than studying. Yeah, I guess I'm just going to have to, like, set up. Set up, yeah. Try to set a schedule where you do it in the morning time. Um, you know, first thing you wake up in the morning, read your Bible, which is hard for me because I, I don't do that. I don't read first thing in the morning, which I should. Um but I just, I'm just too tired. I don't want to look at nothing. First thing I do in the morning is I'm always listening to something, though. Uh, I've yeah. always got sermons playing in my ear. Today I must have listened to like five hours of Ruckman's questions and answers. So those really helped me get through the day. But Yeah, I'm going to try and do that. Because it, how it's going to be is like I'll have time like, all throughout the day on uh, Mondays and Wednesdays mm -hmm. until 4 because then I work 4 to 10. But then it's like, because I still have to, you know, do school those days, like, on the live meetings from, like, 7 to 2. Really? And I have, like, a small window of time. You could do, like, a, you could probably, you could fit in at least a half hour reading, I would think, of the Bible. In a, in a half hour, if you're a fast reader, you can read about at least five to six pages, which is, like, yeah. ten pages total. Because what I tried to do, I was like, okay, I'm going to wake up at, like, five. And that, that was working for a little bit. But mm -hmm. then by the time it was like 4 o'clock, I was like... Drained. You're like, tired, right. Like. And then on top of studying and using that physical... Yeah. You know, one thing to do physical labor, but then to come home into like labor. It's called labor in, in word and doctrine. You actually labor. And like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, much study is weariness to the flesh. Yeah. So you, you exerting your mental energy takes a tool on your flesh, no doubt about it. And, um, you know... Just do your personal reading and definitely listen to much as possible. I mean, whenever you can, have an earbud in and listen to a sermon or um, a, a teaching or something like that. Um, all right, let's see here. Let's do, um, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I guess we are going to do, um, we're going to do a, a study on how to pray, which I think is a, um, important topic in, in a Christian's life. Obviously, prayer is one of the greatest weapons in our, in our spiritual walk. Um, it says in Ephesians, uh, if I could find the book of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, or, yeah, Ephesians chapter 6, verse um, 18, after it talks about the armor of God, verse 18 says, Praying always... With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So it's interesting, praying always. Right after the, you know, um, the, the armor of God comes prayer. And it's interesting that I think it's in Luke. So if we're in Matthew, hold our hand in Matthew. I think the disciples look at Luke chapter 11. 
the disciples ask this question. Look at Luke chapter 11. If I'm not mistaken, I think they say John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. Um, Lord, you know, te teach us how to pray. You know, many call many people, they call this the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, look what it says. Look at Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place. Now, I always think that's cool too, because the Lord does talk about in this passage your prayer closet. And I think there is something big to having a certain place set apart, sanctified, if you want to use that word, set apart for the use of, I'm just going to pray. Like we were hearing some story down, down south, you know, go out into the woods, and that guy had a special, Mark Weaver had a special spot in the woods he'd go out and, and, and pray. I think that's, that's something that's lacking in, in our Christian life is we don't have a, a certain spot to set apart and pray. I think that's a big deal of even why coming to, you know, a, a little room like this to do our Bible studies and our fellowship is our, our focus should be strictly on, you know, this thing. You know, it's good to be social. It's good to catch up with one another and things like that. But, you know, doesn't Paul just says what eating and drinking, don't you have a house to eat and drink in? Well, there's times for where we go out at home and have our personal, have our good time, but there's a, it's a good thing to have a certain place. Like when the disciples would meet, they met at a certain place. And, and you know, like the, Paul was preaching a sermon in a building in Acts chapter 17 when Eutychus fell out the window because Paul was long preaching all night. They were in the upper chamber of the room. So there was a certain place where they would, they would uh, listen to preaching, certain place they'd do their, their studies, their fellowship together. Uh, verse 11, and he says, or verse 1, praying in a certain place when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Okay, so then uh, we'll come back, to, come back to 11. Come back to Matthew 11. I'm going to read it out. Actually, we can read it from here. We can read it from Luke. Same thing. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend, uh, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing set before him. And he from withal, or within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give, give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him, give him many as needed. See, that's why I want to stick in Matthew, because it actually ends there. Luke goes on. Go back to Matthew. Go back to Matthew. Yeah, I want to stick in Matthew, actually. Matthew 9, which is similar. You've seen the, the prayer that he taught them how to pray, but I like to outline um, more in Matthew. Um Matthew chapter 6. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. I'm going to read that again. Um, you'll see the wording's a little bit different, though. Matthew 6, 9 says, After this manner, therefore pray ye. So this is what's interesting. This is what I think I, I like about this passage here. Is number one thing we have to get down, you know, we're dispensational, okay? We, we clearly see that there's divisions in the Bible. Clearly. There has to be. Rightly dividing the word truth, or else there's a bunch of contradictions. But don't let dis dispensationalism stop you from getting a blessing in other parts of the Bible. Okay, you always have to understand the you know the three applications of scriptures: doctrinal, devotional, and historical slash prophetical. Okay, 
So don't just let dispensations, well, I'm just stuck in the Pauline epistle, so that's, you know, all I can get. And I think that's where the devil, you know, gets people. There's always extremes with things, and we're told to rightly divide. And, you know, there is a group of people, which you, I never ran into one before, but the hyper-dispensationalists will pretty much tell you that, oh, well, you know, just read Paul, just read Paul, just read Paul. To the point where you start thinking, oh, well, this is doctrinally to the nation of Israel. This is doctrinally talking about... Uh, this gets postponed, and this is doctrinally to the tribulation where they're going to be praying for the Lord's kingdom to come back. Well, yeah, we understand that, but you know, try to you know, think of a, um, a practical thing that we can get out of this. Is He's actually given us an, an illustration on how to pray here. So you know, let's, if we look at this, we can break this thing down here. Um, after this manner. Now, the, he don't say just repeat this prayer all the time like the Catholics do. That's nothing, you know. Our Father, which art in heaven, I'll be in the name of the kingdom come, will be done. You know, if you're a Catholic, you'd say that thing over and over again and pray the rosaries and stuff. He didn't say that. So after this manner, you see what I'm saying? He's, he's giving you an outline on how we should pray. After this manner, therefore, uh, pray ye, okay, our Father, which art in heaven. Now, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, that means set apart, okay? Hollow. To consecrate, to set apart for holy or religious use. That's the word hollow. Now it's interesting, Halloween. You know, they're, they're setting it apart for the day of the dead. And we're not told to honor nothing like God. Hollow. It's hallowed be thy name. And another good thing on modern Bibles, they take out our father and they just put father. Well, that our father is telling you whose father it is. It's the father of a Jewish nation, which is Jehovah. Our Father. He's not our Father in, until we become adopted. Okay, that's the, the blessed doctrine of adoption. You know, we're talking about that. Zoe's parents are going to adopt children. Well, thank God that we get adopted into the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ. It talks about that in the book of Galatians. We are, you know, we'll study that on Sunday, talking about how we are the seed of Abraham. We get adopted into the family of God. So our Father here doctrinally is talking about God the Father to the nation of Israel, not a Gentile. But let's try to apply it for us Christians. So our Father, which art in heaven, they take that out in modern translations. So now you're praying to a father. Well, who else is a father in the Bible? The father, you're the devil. You know, the Lord said, you are of your, you, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you shall do. He was a murderer at the beginning, and abode not in the truth, and there's no truth in him. So... That's a big deal. Obviously, the King James Bible has it right. Our Father, which art in heaven, uh, hallowed be thy name. Then he goes on and says, I'm going to just read it and then we'll break it down again. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, at the end of the day, we're not praying, obviously, for his kingdom to come right now. Because we know dispensationally speaking that obviously that, you know, the rapture has to happen. Okay, the rapture has to happen first, and the devil's kingdom has to happen, and Armageddon comes, and then he sets up his kingdom. So that's why doctrinally this prayer is going to get prayed again, like right around here, because thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The, the Jews literally, we have to be praying, give us this day our daily bread, and God's going to feed them with bread. He's going to change the rocks to bread, and he's going to feed them with, with manna again, like he did back in the wilderness way back over here. Who read that in the Old Testament? Is anybody familiar with that? Yeah. Where God fed the Israelites with bread in the wilderness and quail by the night. He'd make that stuff fall down from sky. Um, so he's going to do that again in the tribulation. 
So it's interesting how the Jews are going to have to be really praying, give us this day our daily bread. And remember it says in the book of Revelation chapter 12, if we look at that real quick, Revelation chapter 12, now what happened in the tribulation, I'll just tell you the doctrinal meaning behind this prayer here. Revelation chapter 12, that's page 1657. Revelation chapter 12, um, I'm going to look, uh, here it is. Revelation 12, 14, and to the woman, that's Israel, were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness. Bible's like a big circle, just like how the Jews fled into the uh, wilderness from Egypt. That she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished. So God's going to feed them in this place. And you, you get into a deeper study, they're going to get fed in Sela Petra. In that city, it's called the City in the Rock. And if you look it up on Google, it's literally a, like a little city in the rock. And I was thinking what you said, babe, when, you know, well, how not, aren't they going to have that place like staked out? Like, aren't they just going to shoot a missile at this place? Like if they know they're going to flee there? Who knows? God may have some divine protection <laughs> around that place. But it is like, it's like right there, this little city in the rock. Like, they're not going to know, like, <laughs> they're all hiding out there. I don't know how that's going to work out. But uh, the, the God God is going to, um, uh, we don't have to go through the whole thing, but Micah 7, 14, Jeremiah 50, Ezekiel 20, 35 talks about where God's going to feed his people in the wilderness again. So come back to the, the prayer in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So it's interesting how the Catholics pray this prayer over and over again because they believe in what's called um, uh, post-millennialism. Post-millennial. Now, that's an interesting word. So post-mill-ennial. I'm a terrible speller. Now, we in the Bible is pre-millennial. Okay, so all that, so post-millennials teach that Christ, the Lord, his a thousand-year reign is spiritual. And what happens is actually Christ doesn't come back until the end of the a thousand years. Post meaning after. You know, pre-workout and post-workout, okay? Well, post is, many people believe after the millennium, Christ is going to come back and set up his kingdom. Or he'd be happy because here's what happens. They teach, well, the world's going to actually get better and better. This is the philosophy and doctrinal teaching of the Catholic Church, Calvinist, I think, Presbyterians probably now. Nobody believes no more in the tribulation period, which is insane and scary. Because think about it. Once the mark of the beast comes on, they think the mark of the beast already happened. They think it took place with Nero when Nero was stamping Christians and stuff like that. There was all foreshadows and things, but it, it did not get fulfilled because it says all the world. And nowadays we, li we live in a day of technology and stuff, so literally it's going to be all the world. But the rise of technology and, and the devices of Satan, we could see how these verses in John are now applied you know, to the time period pretty much what we're, living, uh, what we're really close to living in. But post-millennium is that the kingdom is ushered in by man. And really, they conquer the world and make them all Catholic. And then, go, and for, and then there's a thousand years of peace on earth that man ushered in. And then Christ comes back and like they hit the final judgment. And, uh, you know, and Christ is like happy that everybody got converted or something like that. Because they take the commission serious. Um, you know, go out and preach the gospel and stuff like that. They think that they're just going to proselyte everybody on the face of the earth. And then Christ is going to be real happy. They fulfilled the commission. 
and then Christ is going to come back, but that's not the case. We believe in premillennialism, which means literally Christ comes back before the thousand years, which is, that's what the Bible teaches in the book of Revelation. The Holy Spirit says it like five times, 1,000 years, 1,000 years, 1,000 years, and Christ is reigning there. There's nothing spiritual about that. It's a literal thousand-year reign. So, you know, back to that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So that's another thing would be called the kingdom of heaven. It's literally going to be on earth. So then they say, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, once again, modern Bibles, they take out the clause, for thine is the kingdom and power and glory forever. Amen. Why would they take something like that out? <laughs> that's a big, that's a, a pretty significant part of that prayer right there. Um, now, uh, you know what? And, and then he actually says, um, now let's go back up a little bit. So he gives us an outline on how to pray, which we'll still, we'll still break it down and go through. But I want to go sh show you the opposite here. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Um, I don't know if you guys have this in red. John Paul, did you underline things in red in your Bible? I have this, so yeah. Okay, so you're doing your underlining process too? Sometimes. You know, that's, that's good to do, at least to get to know when the Lord Jesus Christ is talking. So Matthew 6, verse 1 says, uh, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. That's a big one, you know. I, it was real big on social media a couple years back, where everybody was like filming. They're like, you know, going out and filming, you know, getting the guy, getting this homeless guy, and getting him cleaned up, getting oh, him a fresh yeah. cut, and bringing all this stuff and filming it and recording it, and getting like big off of their deeds that they do to be seen of men. Uh, now that's that's not what you know what we're supposed to do, to be seen of them. Otherwise, look what he says. If you're doing that. Before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee. Like, hey, look at me, you know, check me out over here or anything like that. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And sometimes a reward isn't always good in the Bible. If you do a word study on reward, the Lord says, I will reward the wicked. He's not going to be give them a good, pleasant reward, but reward them is pretty much according to their works. You know, so he's going to pay them back type of thing. Now, but when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Now here's what we're talking about prayer. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. So now he's telling you uh, a hypocritical prayer life, okay? What the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I send you, they have the reward. Now hold your hand here and come to 1 Timothy. Now you have to have a balance on this thing here, okay? You have to have a balance on this thing. So the Lord's saying... Uh, you know, because we pray in church, okay? Now, synagogue, obviously, that's talking to the Jews. For they pray standing in the synagogues. Well, we pray standing in the churches, too. Um, 
now in a corner of the streets. You know, that would be like me like walking through like, uh, you know, Shop and Save or something like that and just stopping at like 3 o'clock like the, some of the Muslims do, laying out their prayer rug and getting down on the, on the floor like this for, you know, a couple minutes and saying, Oh, Lord, bless God. I love you so much, Lord. You're the, that great in you, Lord. And just start making a big scene in the middle of the... Uh, in the middle of Shop and Save or something. So, when I worked at Domino's, uh -huh. they were all Muslim. Right. And it would be like Friday, and I'd be trying to like, you know, it's like our most busy time. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, it's like 6 o'clock, our most busy time, and now right. they got to go pray. Right, yeah, right. I, look, <laughs> I hear that about every, I hear that from a lot of Muslims. And I'm like picking up the phone, all the phones. That's funny you say that. Pizzas. I was like, I guys. Heard I heard that from a couple other people oh. saying that worked with Muslims. I think it was Derek. He says, yeah, bro, I work with them. Every time we get busy, you know, the, we're looking they around, they got, you know, we're taking calls and stuff, and they're out praying in their office with the door locked or yeah. something like that. I would go in the back, and they'd all have, like, their rugs laid out, like, right. doing the thing. I'm like, Right, so on. you have to definitely use some wisdom with that. Now, yeah. when I hold your hand in Matthew, but look what t Paul says in 1 Timothy First Timothy uh, 2.8, First Timothy 2.8, Paul says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So obviously your motive of prayer is to be, you know, be without wrath, be without, you know, vengeance. Now I understand that there could be some instances where, you know, what do they call that? Um, imprecatory prayers where you're praying for vengeance to be poured out on the, on, uh, on the, uh, on the ungodly and stuff like that. Um, but that, but you got to be, watch out for it. You got to have you use some discernment with that. Cause you know, that could be something bitter, you know, it could be, it should be to, you know, pray for God's will to be done with them and then throw some conditional clauses. If they continue to rebel or do something to them to shake them up to where they come to you, but watch out, you know, Paul says, pray without wrath and without doubting. But he, but Paul did say, pray everywhere. So obviously we can pray in the store. We could pray, but don't make an open show of things. So like literally, like, you know, I'll get the weirdest thing. Like I was praying for this little kid I seen at the bus stop today at work. You know, Lord, bless that kid. Bless, him, bless his day today. Allow him to have a good day today. Um, you know, just keep him protected. I see him standing there with his little mask on. I felt kind of bad for him. So, man, these kids are in like slavery. He had there with his little backpack on. He was like this big. Looked like he was in like, you know, like junior high school, but he was like this tall though, like one of those kids. And I was praying for him, but, you know, don't make like a, an open, sh an open show of things and, 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 and go overboard to be seen by people. So use wisdom on that, but you obviously could pray anywhere and everywhere. In the car, yeah, that's a good one. Pray before you're, you know, in in the morning. I think that's one of the best things to do. Like you read in the Old Testament, I think it was Joshua, you know, rose up early in the morning, Daniel even too, rise up early in the morning, and first thing you should do, first thing you should want to talk to before you talk to anybody, that's a good habit to start, is talk to God. You know, I'm not a morning person at all, but the moment that I wake up, my, wake up in the morning, you open up your eyes, just thank you, Lord. Thank the Lord for giving me breath again. Thank the Lord for saving my soul. And right in the morning, here's another good thing, is to confess your sins in the morning too. A lot of times I do it at nighttime. But Lord, you know, cleanse me, you know, any wicked, dirty dream that I might have had. Cleanse me, Lord, so that, I, so that I'm, you know, I'm pure for the rest of the day or else I get chastised the rest of the day. A, a two-by-four might knock me in the head or something like that. I don't, I don't know. But getting a good habit of confessing your sins in the morning too. I think that would be a good, a good little 
key for us. And the first person we want to talk to in the morning should be our Lord. Yeah. Even if we're crabby and we're not morning people, let's talk to the Lord first. Um, now, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. So that's the motive. He, he defines for you the motive. You know, there's nothing wrong with hitting the streets and asking people, hey, you know, can I pray for you, you know? Um, and there's nothing wrong with standing in churches and saying, you know, John Paul, stand up and lead us in prayer or something like that. You know, there's things to be done in order, but not just obviously, you know, you just stand up in the middle and just start interrupting the preacher or something and saying, oh, you know, I'm going to just take this time to pray or something and do some long, exhaustive, you know, prayer. A lot of the best prayers in the Bible that the Lord answered real quick were very short, simple, three-word prayers, and the Lord would attend to those things. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not pray as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I send you, they have the reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the door, I'd highlight that and underline that. When thou hast shut the door, many people, we walk into our prayer closet, so to say, wherever it may be, and we don't shut the door. We got distractions coming in our heads. We, we, you know, we got just other thoughts coming into our heads. A big one, I think, is the phones. Shut the phone off. Shut the phone off. That's a big one. That's an open door to where the devil will come in. You got bing, bing, ding, ding, you know, ring, all these, these notifications and stuff going on. And just distractions. I, I like how the Lord said, when thou enters into that closet, shut thy door. It's a good, it's a private time. Now imagine that. Imagine, you, especially I'll use an example. Me and, me, me and Babe, we're, you know, we're married now. And I'm going to say to her, you know, she's talking to me or something like that. And, and we're trying to have a conversation. And I'm over here texting and, and saying, and I'm, um, I'm not really listening. I'm not devoting my full 100% attention to her. And I'm sitting over there, yeah, you know, yeah, okay, you know, and I'm texting while I'm trying to listen to you. You weren't like that. Nobody would like that. How do you think the Heavenly, our Heavenly Father feels? Yeah, Lord, one moment, let me get this text over here. What, yeah, what, what, yeah, oh, Lord, thank you so much for blessing me today. Lord, you've been so good to me. And one moment, Lord, I got I to gotta text this person back, yeah. you know, and you're in and out with him like that. Like, there's been so many times you know? where I'm, like, reading my Bible, and then I'm, like, start thinking about, like, school or something, and I'm, like, okay, I just, let me just check it really quick and see, like, if see? I have any assignments. Right. That's what happens to me, too. Yeah. It happens to me when I'm in my prayer time. You know, uh, phone goes off, or I think, oh, I, I need to write this down, or I got to take this note, or uh, just distractions come in. So, obviously, if we're interrupting people when we're in our conversation, a good, genuine conversation is we have our 100% attention at that time, okay? We're devoted to that person talking. Whereas, to, you know, think about when we're with God, we should devote 100% of our attention to Him. So, when thou prayest, enter into that closet. Now, the uh, uh, closet um, definition is a small room or apartment, any room for privacy. So it's interesting. It's a room for just a private area. Sometimes that's good. There's nothing like a lot of times you'll find if we really do a deep study on prayer, you'll find that the Lord went up to pray or went out to pray or it was isolated. You know, and a lot of times, obviously, in a busy world that we live in, you know, we're working with people, co-workers and I don't know. Uh, how social everybody is and all, but 
there's just a lot of people in the world. Sometimes it's good to just get out and just be with God. There's not there's nothing you know no, nothing greater than fellowship and just one on one with our Creator and Savior. Nothing better than that. Um, so obviously it's a private time with you and the Lord, and it should be a priority in our lives. And it's an element that um, that good Christians throughout the time they always had their private time. I you know study old Ruckman. He would go out and. Uh, and just walk around the building. You know, Peacock, I remember him saying a couple of times, you know, that old preacher, uh, we'd have him preach, and we'd be saying, where's the preacher at? Where's he at? Where's he at? But Ruckman's walking around the woods around the building, and then Peacock would go out and find him and say, you know, you got you to preach in like a half hour. And Ruckman would just say, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. And he'd say, well, what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm praying. I'm praying. And then Ruckman would say, sing a couple more songs or something. Sing a couple more songs. You know, let, let, let me go out here. And then finally Peacock got it, that, you know, he got to get prayed up. He put that as a priority. I got to finish my time with the Lord one on one before you go out and you're just in a big social gathering, always pray. So, but when I pray, us enter into thy closet, a private area, something private or something. And when thou hast shut the door, turn off distractions. Uh, pray to the Father which is in secret and the Father which seeth in secret. It's, see, isn't that interesting? It doesn't say in the Father which heareth. It's almost like he's seeing like where you're at at this moment type of thing. He hears you, obviously, but he's really watching you and like, what are you doing at this time? How serious are you taking this with me? Ain't that interesting how the Father which, to pray to the Father in secret, praying is talking to God, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So it definitely seems like where we're at, what we're doing at that time. Um, he's watching our motives. Is it, is it for to be seen of men, which he said as the hypocrites do? No, it should be as this. It should be something private in our fellowship with God. And then he shall reward thee openly. Okay, but when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. Okay, come to 1 Kings 18.26. I'll show you an example of vain repetitions that the heathen do, okay? This would be literally praying the same thing over and over and over again. Um, in Eastern religions, this would be called mantras. They would repeat the same chants over and over again, and I don't know why I always think of Native Americans, what they would do. I don't even know if they'd do it, <laughs> but that fee, fi, fo, fum, fo, fi, fi, fum, fi, you know, like, they would say this thing over and over again, but it would channel some type of energy that yeah. they were praying to their spirits, and then they'd, you know, they'd chant and bounce with it. and. They'd be able Okay, yeah. But it's interesting. They would chant this, like, chant. It was always like a repetitive chant that had, like, a repetition to it. Did they know about Jesus? Or like no, no. They, they, they were worshiping unknown gods, unknown deities. Yeah. They didn't know anything. No, they were, they were religious people. I mean, they were, they, were, they were a lot more religious than most Americans. I mean, any, well, most you know, people in America are. Yeah. Uh, but they have the wrong god. It's just like any, you know... Well, it depends. If they know, a lot of them, you know, like I, when I studied an anthropology class, a lot of them knew of Christianity, though. A lot, of, and, and they, it was weird because they were trying to be Christians, though, too, but then they were smoking peyote and doing other things like they couldn't obviously always let go. Yeah. And, you know, once again, who knows? They can get severely judged for, you know, by that if they ever once accepted the gospel. But then they're stuck, and then they're literally disobeying the first commandment, which is worship no other gods. And, you know, and, you know they could be worshiping other gods. But yeah. if they're saved, then okay, they're saved. But 
a lot of them probably got deceived and said, no, you keep your Christian God. I'm going to continue with mine. Then they flat out rejected the payment, you know. A lot of people died and got skinned off the, you know, off the scalp trying to convert Native American tribes and stuff. Yeah. So there was a, that was a serious thing back in the day when, you know, the Christians, they wanted to, to give the gospel to them. And, but the contrary part, a lot of them did get saved. And, and they said, okay, we understand, we're, you know, we're worshiping the wrong gods and the devils and their demons and stuff now. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong, you know, that, that's, that's big. I think that's way more serious than dress codes and dietary foods and observance of certain things and things that they would do. You know, they might have been a little superstitious, but obviously worship, the Lord's a jealous God. And if, you're, if you say you're a Christian and I go turn my back and I go commit adultery on the Lord and, and go fornicate with Baal or... Ashtoreth or some other false god, the Lord's definitely going to hold that over you and, and judge you, whether he, I don't know, kills you. I mean, he, he t- let, lets other people take your land. <laughs> let let's, let's the, the, the white man come in and take over their land. Who knows? That could have been a judgment for, you know, them going after false gods. They had it. They, they're trying, but that's a, that's a whole other thing. Uh, so look at 1 Kings 18.26. 1 Kings 18.26. This is an example of um, uh, vain repetition, okay? 1 Kings 18.26. And they took the bullock. Now, this is the good, great showdown between Elijah and uh, the prophets, uh, or the prophets of Baal, okay? And, you know, Elijah said to the uh, the Baalites, you know, bring 50 of your, your Baalites up on the mountaintop. I'll meet you up there. And when you call on your God, I'll call on my God. We're going to do a, you know, a, a burnt offering. Whoever's God answers is obviously the true God. So this is a showdown amongst gods. And uh, look at verse 24. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And, and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under it. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. They called that, they said that from morning to noon. O Baal, hear us. O Baal, hear us. Imagine that. That's vain repetition. But there was no voice, nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar which was made. They broke down that altar. <laughs> they were so angry and frustrated. So Elijah literally had to build that thing back up too. And it's funny, look at verse 27. It came at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. He, look at this in a sarcastic tone. He, either he is talking or, or he is pursuing or he is in a journey or peradventure he sleepeth <laughs> and must be awakened. You know, that's, he's ripping on another God. There's nothing wrong with ripping on other religions at the end of the day. You know, that's something that you got to watch out. You obviously use some wisdom with that. You know, if you're obviously going to try to win a Muslim or win a Jew over, you know, at best case, it's not good to obviously right away attack their, you know, their, their belief right away. Although, you know, it's tempting to say, well, you know, your prophet Muhammad was a pedophile and he was just committing necromancy with his buddy's aunt and stuff like that and, and even the Catholics and things, you know, you got to use some wisdom with dealing with those people. Now, come back to Matthew, verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 7. That's just an example of vain repetitions. And the Catholics obviously do that to this day. 
they pray the rosaries. And they literally do the rosaries over and over and over again. And what, what, does, what does the Lord say? Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. So uh, that's another interesting thing is, um, number one, you don't always have to say a lot during your prayer life. You know, some people, you know, they, they could just sing this, say this big, long, eloquent prayer with all these fancy words in it. Lord, I thank God that you justified, redeemed, and, and sanctified, and, you know, all these theological terms in there. And, uh, you know, they, they make a fair show of, uh, of their speech uh, type of thing there. And they, once again, they could just be doing that just to be seen of men. So make sure it's out of the right motive. And you always don't have to spend, you know, four hours or three hours on, on prayer or nothing like that. You, you think in your much speaking that, you know, that they shall be heard for their much speaking. And I was like, what's the, I like the uh, thing, well, old preacher said, um, um, what's he say here? Hold on. He says, yeah, you might not pray long, but you better not go long without praying. Think about that. You might not pray long. Okay, I'm not going to spend four hours a day praying or three hours a day praying, but you better not go long without praying. So it's always good to just talk to the Lord throughout your day. You know, talk to him. You're carrying him, you know, John Paul, you're carrying a tree or something, or you're getting ready to dig his ditch. Lord, you know, Lord, I thank you. Lord, help me. Give me some strength, Lord, you know. Or just tell the Lord, just, Lord, you're good today, you know, regardless of whatever you're putting me through. And, Lord, keep me safe. I, you know, I'm saying that one a lot, too. Yeah, I've been you know, Lord, just keep me safe out here, Lord. Something could fall and smack me on my head or something. Or... You got the black eye, yeah. Dolly. Well, it could have been worse. It could have been right in my eye. Oh. That would have been bad. Yeah, what happened there? The dolly, I treated all that, I pulled it down, the, or I slided off the truck. Mm-hmm. And the shovel started falling on this side. I should have just let it go. I went to like try to grab it, and the dolly fell, hit the ground, flipped up, and the handle smacked me right there. You was bleeding, weren't you? Were you? No, I wasn't bleeding. Oh wow, that's good. It, it hurt. Oh, oh, that's but, bad. I mean, it went, you know, it just it went away after. That's bad. Personnel. It's pretty cool. It's it's. I like it. See, I know. It looks like you got you were in a boxing match, like, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna just go, just go all full out, all full out black eye. But yeah, that would have been. Well, thank the Lord, you know, it didn't hit you in the eye like that. But yeah. I like that saying is, you know, you may not pray long, but you better not go long without praying. So make it a habit, obviously. And here's the thing: your relationship with the Lord got to be a dialogue, not a monologue. Mono, monotheistic mono, we believe in one God. A monologue is just a one-way conversation. That's not how it's supposed to be. A dialogue is you having a dialogue among two people. So your relationship with the Lord is back and forth. And obviously you can't get... The great thing to do is when I read the Bible, God's talking to me. And when I pray, I'm talking with God. So you have to have a dialogue between you two and not a monologue. Like I just can't saturate my mind in the Bible when it's all Bible, Bible, Bible. And I'm not talking to the Lord. And same thing, I can't just be praying, 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 and I'm not reading my Bible. So obviously find a good balance between the two with that. So um, back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, um, uh, verse 7. So Alana, the thing is there, verse 7 is, For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. 
So I'd write this down, Alana, is you may not pray long, but you better not go long without praying. So you may not pray four hours a day, but you better not go a long time. Like, man, Lord, it's been like four hours since I talked to you. Or you know what I'm saying? You may not pray four hours, but you better not go four hours without saying something to the Lord. That's a good relationship. What kind of relationship, you know, people don't want to talk to each other or anything like that. And number our first foremost relationship that we got to focus on amongst all is, is our relationship with our, with our God. So we got to talk to him. And remember what we talked about earlier is you better devote 100% of our attention to him during that time. You know, and I know that's hard in this busy gener- generation where everything's thrown at you and jobs and school and, you know, house and relationships where, you know, and, and everything gets in the way, but always set apart that time to talk to the Lord. Um, for they think that they shall be heard in their much speaking. Verse 8, be not ye therefore like unto them. You looking for the, the yeah. thing here? You know what, Alana, it's in, it's in here. I think I put it in It's a little bit. Oh, wait, where'd that, where'd that go? Maybe it is in there. It's, I think it's a wreck in there, too. Okay, there you go. Yeah, keep that, keep that thing out, actually. Yeah, why is that back there? Yeah, keep that thing out over there near, like, the store or something. Um, or near that rocking chair. Okay, so, Be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of, before ye ask him. Now that's an interesting thing there too. You know, don't you think, you know, your God, the, your Lord knows what you need before you ask him. And that's obviously what we get into the play of is come to James. We may ask a lot of our things. Look at James. Look at James. James chapter 4. So obviously God knows what we need. And what God knows that we need may differ from what we think we need. And obviously many of our needs are most likely probably wants. Okay? We may think we need this, we need that, we need this. When really, nah, we kind of want it, Lord. We're kind of, you know, covetous. You know, we're kind of lusting after certain things that, that we want. Look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse number 2. Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Now I like that though. You, yet you know, yet ye have not, because you ask not. So, at the end of the day, it don't hurt for you to ask the Lord a lot of things. I'd rather ask Him something and Him shut it down, rather than me going up to heaven and saying, "Man, I, I plan to bless you in so many ways, and you just never asked for it." So don't don't hurt to shoot your shot and. Say, Lord, you, you know, give me something here. You, you may be wanting it or, you know, but then when he don't answer it, then obviously you didn't need it. But then look at verse 3. Ye ask, okay, and receive not. Why? Because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. So you're not asking for the right motive. You know, once again, you, you're asking uh, that you may consume it upon your lusts. Um. It's interesting. Ye adulterers and adulteress. Now, you know, next thing you know, first thing comes to our head with lust is usually sexual things, but that's not always the case. Lust thing is just covening after worldly things, too. Ye adulterers and adulteress, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? There's a, there's a division. There's a, there's a difference. There's a uh, disagreement. 
Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So the good thing is don't be friends with the enemy. You're gonna, you know, you can't you can't have one foot in the world, one you know, one foot, you know, trying to trying to be a Christian. We're told, told definitely to stick out from the world, not be of the world at all. Um, now come back to uh, come back to Matthew. So the point is though, the Lord said, um, "Hallow." Or, or the Lord said, uh, "He He knows the things that you need before you ask Him." So He obviously, you know, He He knows what you need before you ask Him, but. Asking, it ain't going to hurt, but you know, if you're asking something and you're asking it to consume upon your lusts, you're not probably going to receive it. Okay, so now he says after this, now he tells them, once he told them what not to do, now this is always a good principle factor here, is you never just give people a big list of roles. And I always think that's kind of, you know, even with preaching and stuff, is, you know, okay, you're telling people how to battle certain sins, but you got to fill the void in with something. Um... You know, a, a big one is like is por is pornography and, and lustful thoughts. Is people always talk about the you know the negative thing and oh it's bad it warps your brain it rewires your brain. Well then you better give me something obviously to to help me with that. Not just to give me all these negatives. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do this. But you better tell me what to do. Obviously, and you say well not to look at it and things. Well you better have other. You know, a big thing for that is obviously you know going outside, working, getting getting uh, being with people. Um, you know, getting yourself outside of the uh, four walls and stuff, socializing and things. Um, but it's interesting how the Lord always will give you what not to do, and then he tells you what to do. And a good illustration is obviously like a, like a dentist. You know, he drills out a cavity. He don't just drill that thing out and leave a big hole there. He obviously has to fill the void. So anything that you say, don't do this, don't do that, well, you have to fill that void with something. And it's good to know what not to do which he told you about, and then now he's going to tell you, okay, verse 9, after this manner, therefore pray ye, okay, first thing first, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So it's interesting is the number one thing I would, I would write down is first thing in our prayer is that we should worship the Lord. We should worship the Lord. And I'm and just talking about just, Lord, I'm just grateful for what you've done for me. Lord, I thank you for who you are. Lord, you know, your, your promises are, are sure. You know, I could stand, I could, I could stand on the promises of what, of what your word says. Um, cl you know, claim a lot of the verses that he speaks of. Just magnify the Lord. Just tell him how good and how great he is. Boast about him. Just talk about him. You know, tell him. That's a good thing in, in, in relationships, is it not? To compliment one another. Tell them how much you love them. Tell them, tell them how, you know, how beautiful they are. Tell them how great they are. Tell them how thankful you are for, for what they've been doing for you and things. The, God wants to hear that from you. And a lot of things that lacks in the Christian's prayer life, you know, we think worship, a big thing that got messed up in the, in, in the charismatic churches is, you know, they think that worshiping is some big experience show. You know, I, I feel like this, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in the feeling of worship and stuff. We've got the smoke coming and the light shows and the right music and stuff. Man, I know people went back when I was listening to hip hop and rap music. If you study music, that gives off a certain sensation. Uh, as the studies out is it has a sensation just like sex. Music comes out. One of my one of my buddies uh, talked about that. What's up, brother? How you doing? How was work today, man? You made it. All right, so we're talking about prayer. We're talking about prayer. Appreciate it. Can, can I keep this here at the church? No, you can give it back. Yeah, uh, I have to give it back to you. No, I got more. You sure you got more at home? Yeah. 
Really? Yeah. Oh, you're the man, Derek. I appreciate that, man, because I need to get something to plug in my the microphone here when this is done here. Right, so I'm going to plug it in right here, and it will be... I'm going to have to plug this in somewhere probably back there. We'll probably be the best case. I appreciate that. All right, so look, Derek, we're in Matthew chapter 6, and we're talking about how to pray. So we're just starting off, really, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, just getting warmed up a little bit. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, the first thing we have to learn how to do during our prayer, I want you to read this, Derek. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This is a famous passage. We probably all know it. But verse 9, he says, After this manner, therefore pray ye. So the Lord's going to say, Look, I'm going to show you how to pray. Now that's what his disciples asked him. Lord, teach us how to pray. So this is a basic outline or an illustration for, let's practically apply it to us Christians on how we should pray. Number one, our Father which art in heaven. That's why we always most time open up our prayers at two. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father. You know, we, we, we go right to the Father. You, you know, Heavenly Father, Father, we thank you. you know, now look what it says, though. Which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now that word hallowed, which we talked about earlier, means to consecrate, to set apart for holy or religious use. Hallowed. That means it's something to be sacred. It's something to, you know, be reverenced, have respect for it. That This name that we're saying when we call him Father. You know, the first thing else we think about is, remember Halloween? Well, Halloween, that first word in Halloween is, it's supposed to be some holy day of the dead, which that's pagan, that's false. Here's the correct way on, on what something hallowed is. It's something to be holy. So the first thing that, you, that us Christians got to get good at, and we should focus on this, is to worship God. I mean, in our prayers, we got to thank God for who we, you know, worship Him for His character. And what I was saying is, worship isn't just coming into isn't a certain experience to where you feel I got the goosebumps or the music is just right. And what I was talking about earlier is, you know, um, Joe Tavella always used to say, you know how Joey was real big with his music and stuff, making CDs and mixtapes and everything? You know, he had one of them studies that said that music gives you the same sensation uh, as, as sex almost. That same phys that neurological thing in your brain where, you yeah, you get, and it's true though, it is a true study. It, it gives you some type of like like fuel. It really warps your emotions where, you know, you have like this experience that from you just listening to music. And a lot of, you know, charismatic churches, they got the drums and they got the guitar and they got the beautiful singers and stuff. And they think when they feel this certain vibe in the room that they think that's part of worship. Worship isn't always a feeling of that at all. Look at the Apostle Paul's life. I don't, I don't hear much at all where Paul ever heard many instruments playing. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he heard instruments playing, but... He was singing in jail, making hymns and making melody in your heart. So a lot of times that, you know, Paul never had like a, a piano or things like that. He was just doing an acapella, so to say. Um, now, worshiping God, that's in a whole other study. But first thing in our prayer, we got to worship God. You say, how do you worship God? You have to worship him for who he is. How do you know who he is? You have to read his word. You have to know God's character. Okay, he's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's, every, he's omnipresent everywhere at one time. Um, he, he's, he's just. He's righteous. He's holy. Everything that he does is correct. We may not think it's correct. We're, we're wrong. He's always right. Um, we may not understand some things in, in the Bible, but at the end of the day, the Bible's always right, and we're always wrong at the end of it. Not that, oh, I'm right, and I could change the Bible and stuff. So we have to get in the habit, obviously, of worshiping God and worshiping, worshiping him 
according to truth, okay? And worship to him for his character. So uh, you, have to, uh, you have to praise him. And, uh, and you have to, a good, good illustration of that is the book of Job. Job went through all that stuff, losing his kids and his net worth. And what did he say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's a part of worship. Blessing the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, uh, yeah, if your prayer life is lacking, um, uh, th then you're not worshiping right. You know, if, you're, if your prayer life is, is, if you're not, you know, worshiping God in some aspect of your life, especially through prayer, well, then something's lacking, and, and you got to get that thing fixed up. Uh, now, I want to look at Acts chapter, look at Acts chapter 10, verse 42. You know, there's nothing wrong with just telling the Lord how good he is. That's a basic thing, you know, like, you know, he was a good man. You know, the Lord, the Lord Jesus, you know, get me, don't get me wrong here, don't misunderstand me, he was 100% God, but he also had a, hum, a human side to him. 100% uh, man. I like Acts chapter 10, verse 42. Look at this little part in here. Uh, Luke wrote this. Um, Acts chapter 10. Um, Acts chapter 10. No, it's not. Where, where's that verse? He went about doing good. Where's that at? Anybody know where that verse is at? He went about doing good. Let me see here. I gotta go to old Siri. Okay, it's Acts ten thirty-eight. Let me change that. Acts ten thirty-eight. I like this little this little fragment in here. Acts ten thirty-eight. Um, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So that's a, that's a good thing. You know, it says that who went about doing good. You, got, you just imagine how good of a guy that the Lord Jesus was. You know, just for him to say everything that he did was good. You know, he didn't do not one bad thing in his life. He never sinned a day in his life. So just praise God for him just being good. That's something that we got to think of. Lord, you're always good. We thank you for being good. Um, now, uh, now another one I want to look at, go back to Matthew 6. You know, and another part of that is, um, uh, Matthew yeah, Matthew chapter 6. Now, the thing I have is, uh, so when, when you go into prayer, instead of going right in and saying, I need this and I need that, you know, why not just go to the Lord and say, uh, you know, I don't want to ask you for nothing, Lord. I just want to thank you for who you are. I just want to thank you for being good. I'm not going to start my prayer, Lord, I need this, and Lord, help me with this, and, I, you know, I'm always struggling with that. Just take time out the day to just thank God and to worship Him and tell Him He's good. You want to, he, he wants to hear that from you. That's part of His relationship. It's part of worshiping Him. And, um, you know, many, many people go to prayer and they're just demanding. And they say, Lord, you know, you do this for me now type of thing. That's not, that's not it. Um, now Matthew chapter uh, Matthew chapter six. Let's look at another part. Um, Matthew chapter six, verse number ten. Um, now we we kind of talked about that actually. Um, oops, Matthew chapter six, verse ten. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So that's kind of tough to apply practically uh, because thy kingdom come, you know, this is obviously his earthly kingdom. You know, we could kind of say um, uh, spiritually or we could kind of go make a reference to the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we can pray that, you know, that, you know, Lord, give us more of those attributes since we are in the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual kingdom. That's kind of tough to get anything practical out of it because it's literally talking about thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Um, we could also go to actually, let's look at Timothy. Come to the book of Timothy because if we, if we want to pray, because what did the Lord say too? You got to have a fine line with this too or else you're just asking amiss. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. So if you want to pray about things in the world, remember what the Lord said. He said, I pray not for the world, but rather for those that are called out of the world. He prays for his Christians, you know, prays for his brothers and sisters and stuff. But 1 Timothy, if we want to pray, like he says, thy will be done in earth. Okay, thy will be done in earth. Um, look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul's writing, I exhort therefore that first all, supplications, that's, that's pretty much praying for the Lord to supply your needs, not all the time your wants, but what you need. And really, what do we really need? Food, water, shelter. Those are the three necessities of life is what we need. Clothing. Food and, uh, having food and raiment, therewith let us be content, Paul says. Having food and raiment, that's clothing. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, that's Lord, supply us from my needs. Prayers, remember we talked about prayer, sometimes that could be just worshiping God. Just telling him how good he is. Read the book of Psalms. A lot of times David's praying to God in the book of Psalms, and he's just worshiping God. He's just praying. So prayer sometimes is just worshiping. Prayer could also mean asking. Intercessions. See that word intercessions? What's that mean? Anybody know what that means? Intercessions? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Praying for people. There's a lot of people out there that don't ever, they never said a prayer in their life. So that's our job as Christians to intercede on their behalf and, and pray for what they may need. Obviously, first off, is we pray for their salvation, pray to get them saved. You know, I think I just prayed for that little boy at the bus stop today. I just, Lord, keep him safe. I let him have a good day today. I honestly don't remember if I prayed, Lord, get that kid saved or anything. You know, I just said, Lord, have that, that kid look. I don't know, something about that kid. I had to say a prayer for him. Um, Lord, do, save that kid's soul, Lord. I'll pray right now. Uh, intercessions and giving of thanks. Okay, giving of thanks. That's part of our prayer life. Thanking the Lord. Be made for all men. Then look what he says. For kings and for all that are in authority. Now that's a tough one to obey. Because, you know, right now, you know, a lot of people, we're, we're not happy we got Joe Biden in the office and stuff. Well, that, at the end of the day, that's the will of the Lord. Let, let it be done. And there's a reason why, you know, he's in the office and things. And I listened to that. John Paul, you probably listened to it. That Robert Militello video about Donald Trump. That was a big one. And I was like, you know what? That makes sense. Is a lot of the Christians, obviously, we know about this, elevated Trump to a level of, like, Godhead type thing. They were looking for him to Savior, draining the swamp and everything. When, when really, he never, you know what it says in the book of Psalms, is, or Proverbs, I think, is righteousness exalteth a nation. That's what brings up a nation. Not the economy and the trading supply and Wall Street and all these things and, and border security. That's maybe all good stuff. 
But really what exalts a nation is righteousness. And, you know, and then he made that good point where, you know, Trump didn't really have a righteous life, so he couldn't really stress that in his campaign because his testimony and his, was kind of wrecked a little bit. It made me, like, so disappointed when I was seeing the stuff of him, like, people were, like, flying flags of Trump, like, and Jesus holding hands. I know. I Look, there was, there was all this, there was all this mixture. Of, I, I studied this for, I don't know, a whole semester in that secular school in Penn State about this Christian nation type of thing. And, you know, the, the Christianity has no, no part really in the government. I mean, it's good, it's good to, the, to have Christian officials elected, no doubt about it. 100% I'd rather have a Christian official in there than a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Taoist or whatever. But, you know, when you start having, you know, like, because you, you're going to compromise. You're going to compromise. Now, you got to think about how, who in the world would elect an official that states, look, in, in a couple of years, the Antichrist is going to rule the world here. There's going to get a global government that vaccines the mark of the beast leading up to it. You're going to start compromising on your beliefs. That's why it's tough to have a, a government position while being a, a true, actual, Bible-believing Christian. It's not really, you know, he, Robert Militello said it even better. Yeah, he said, too, uh, what else he said? He said, uh, at the end of the day, nothing really changed. Like, I still went out and told people about Jesus or something. Yeah. I still had that freedom and yeah. stuff like that. Because he, he was in politics for a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Remember him saying that? In New York or something. Mm -hmm. He said nothing, his day-to-day -day life really didn't change. Yeah. Um, right. Right. So I want a job. Every day that I went in this week just to like fill up paperwork and stuff, mm -hmm. she's been like, oh, well, in the back, they can, they can give you the vaccine for free since you work here. Mm -hmm. Are you going to get it? And every I came in like four times this week and she's like, do you want to get it? Do you want to get it? Really? Get it? She's like, we all have it. And I'm like, I don't know. Oh, God, don't take it. You don't need it. You oh, already had COVID. Yeah. The vaccine. Did you send? get that? Watch that link I sent you? Look at that link. The COVID form. All these deaths from 40 years old to 20 years old to 60 years old. Wait, now, think about this. Is it all coincidence that a 40-year-old dies a couple days later after receiving a vaccine? I mean, seriously, look at that before they take it off. It'll make you think twice. And that vaccine don't even help you from all the strains of COVID that's always mutating. What's the point of getting it? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna inject something in my body. Yeah, I want to get it because I did a client. Mm -hmm. She works for the for the group home. Mm -hmm. She's working from home. Mm -hmm. for, uh, she's a nurse. Mm -hmm. And she said they got all the vaccines, but they still got COVID. See? And they, they didn't. What is it? They, like them vaccines have to go through uh, experiment testing. Yeah, testing. They didn't right. go through a testing. They just they just do it. They're just giving it to people. And look, people, you're like guinea pigs. We're like, yeah, let's test it on you animals and see what happens to you. And I wouldn't do it. I mean, at that, that the end of the day, it's, you know, it's your body. But exactly. I sent, you, I sent the group message a, a link that you guys should all watch. When did you send it? Oh, a couple. I'll send it again. I'll send it again. And I want you guys to look at it and read these articles. Not all this is coincidence where they just die after receiving this vaccine. I mean. Yeah, because she keeps saying it like every time I'm. Like, Hi, do you want the vaccine? Yeah, you know, probably smiling at you and stuff. Like, you know, they got the pharmacy in the back. She's yeah. like, oh, yeah, we can just give you the vaccine. You well, think of that big, think of that witch that yeah. I just showed you today saying that. Yeah, and the thing <laughs> is, is like, I know, like, my grandma got the vaccine because obviously she's a nurse. Mm -hmm. And so I know, like, because she's, like, super, like, liberal. Mm -hmm. So I know that whenever, like, my 
what's that called? Oh, the antibodies from COVID. When that's over, she's gonna be like, well, you gotta get your vaccine now. And I'm gonna be like, I don't, I don't think I wanna get it. And then it's gonna be like a whole thing, you know? Just I'm tell, look, I mean, that that's the thing is just say, I'm, I'm not getting it, I'm not getting it. That's the end of the conversation. I don't have to say, you know what Jesus said? Let your yay be yay, let your nay be nay. Literally, all you have to say to somebody is no. I don't get the flu shot. One word. Exactly, exactly. And if you're a healthy individual, you exercise, you eat right, your body should have no trouble fighting this thing, which you guys obviously had. I only can smell certain things. I can't smell like, well, I can't smell like fresh air in a minute. Wow. Well, yeah, that's, that's rough. Well, pray, obviously, we have to always seek there's people, there's people that got struck down for seeking a doctor over, over God in the, in the yeah. Old Testament. Now, I, you know, I understand, you know, you got to have a balance on that too. But obviously, number one is, you know, not all doctors are wicked, but always seek God first as our, as our physician and say, Lord, I believe you could heal me from this COVID. You know, that's exactly it. And God's our protection. He's our vaccine, so to say, that, that, that's inside of us, isn't he not? And the Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Christ is in you. Why do we need to put all these chemicals and pharmaceuticals in us when we have Christ in us? In, not, huh? To die is the gain at the end of the day. And if the Lord, look, if the Lord wants to take you out, he'll take you out. And, and obviously, like I say, you know, not be stupid, not to go out your way to get it or nothing and just breathe in people's COVID fumes or something. Right, but he will smote you down if it comes down to it. And if you're, you know... If you're, don't, but once again, don't be stupid. Obviously, you know, wash your hands. It should be basic common sense. Yeah. You know, um, if you feel comfortable wearing a mask, wear a mask, whatever. But as, as far as putting something inside of my body, look, I got Christ in me. I, and I believe that, you know, that the power of God should protect me from that stuff. And, you know, that might be old school and, and backwards or whatever. But, that, you know, I would much rather believe in, in God than to put something crazy like that next to you. know, I get paralyzed. There's look read those cases in there, man. I mean, there's some scary things. I would. I'm gonna be at work and they're all gonna be dropping like flies. That's gonna be scary. Lana's <laughs> gonna look around. And she's dropping. She's hitting the ground. They're all look, quitting work. Quit, yeah, quitting work. Right. That's scary. So come back to Matthew. Well, but but did you see that? That's that's something that we could do. We could pray in Earth. Obviously, is praying for those that are in charge. Um, praying for that, that. Here's the purpose of why we should pray for that stuff for those people, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. As far as Joe Biden getting into office, I'm still. I, my life really isn't much different. <laughs> when, I mean, I know this. They there might be some political things behind it, um, and agendas. You know, Barack Obama was was supposed to be the Antichrist and things like that. I understand. No, he wasn't obviously the Antichrist, but he definitely did. He was anti-Israel. So that's one scary thing. Any president that sticks up for Israel is good. Any president that goes against Israel is bad. That's the main nation that, that God's concerned with, is Israel. Now he's like, hey, well, yeah, he is. He's Haitian. I think, wasn't he Haitian? No, he's Hawaiian. What's he? He's Hawaiian. That's it. He is African, though. He is African. He's Muslim or is he Christian? He was both. He did both. He Muslim and then he was Christian. Yeah, because Jordan's family was like, you hear that? He's Muslim. And I was like... Well, listen. He was. He, he was Muslim. He was a Christian. He was a Jew. Okay, listen. Well, I don't... That's scary. That's what gets in a whole other thing, too. <laughs> but um, he was... Look, any president... If you want look at our presidents, they're all hypocrites. Every one of them. 
Yeah. No, no business does Donald Trump, a Protestant, have to go into a Catholic church, uh, and then yet, then he goes to a Jewish, uh, Jewish place, and he's putting prayers inside of a brick wall. I don't think we should be running about the president. All we should the, be running about the Rockefellers. Well, yeah, well that gets into that gets into Illuminati. Yeah. We should the Rockefellers and the Jacob they Rothschilds. Own the, the, the country. They own a lot of things. Oil. Everything. A, a lot of it. That gets into your top elite people, the top of the pyramid of the triangle. Yeah. You know your pyramid scheme? Who's the other one? Rockefeller and, and Rothschilds. Yeah, them too. Rothschilds. Jacob Rothschild. That's a whole... And those people are sitting out at the end of the day, you know, there might not even be an election. There might there might not even be an election. There might just be a selection. They, you know, so they're just picking people in. And, 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 uh, and possibly Donald Trump was maybe hindering the ability of the New World Order. You know? Donald Trump was probably hindering that, and that's why they said, we got to get this guy out of here. He's just, he's making a wreck of things. Let's get sleepy Joe Biden in there, and we could just, you know, just, yeah. con we could just control this old guy. Did you listen to his speech at all? Because he's, like, old. I said, let's listen to him. I, he put me to bed. This is, my, <laughs> this is my lullaby for the night. I was trying to listen to him. Did you see Ted Cruz fell asleep? Yeah. He fell asleep. Mitt Romney was back there sleeping. They all, <laughs> they started out, and they're all clapping every time he says something. And then by the end of it, Ted Cruz is on Twitter sleeping. <laughs> Mitt Romney, they filmed the camera. His eyes are closed. Oh, you see my boy tripping up the steps? Oh, oh yeah, up the airplane. Yeah. yeah. It's like sad he's it is sad. Show. He's so... They're taking big time advantage he, of that he guy. I know. It's, it is sad. I thought I, I of that when I watched his blooper video. Smart enough to like you think he actually knows about yeah, a lot of it? Yeah, you're probably right. He probably isn't as I dumb as we probably think he is. Yeah, I think he's playing. I mean, he could be because he, he did study Jesuit school. They're very good with manipulation and psychology. Yeah. They know how to appeal to people. And, um, huh? It could be developing like. Some sort of like Alzheimer's or something like that. Yeah, I like that. He had a plan for Alzheimer's or something, and I was like, yeah, that's exactly what he needs. Remember, his, <laughs> one of his plans for all, how he's going to help people with Alzheimer's. Uh, oh, yeah, it was like going from like one thing. He started off with, we're going to get the vaccine, get vaccinated, get vaccinated, and we're going to finally get that cure for cancer. <laughs> you know, it was like, yeah, people all stood up, you know, like started clapping. We're finally going to get that cure for cancer. Like, just had to throw that in there. Uh, right. And they did. They the people probably Jesus probably healed people of cancer with all with all those those infirmities that they had. Or that too. Or that too. The, the, how how God uses cancer to get people they could that's a good point. I, I I was thinking of back in his day when he was healing people probably from cancers back in. Now, come back to Matthew 6. So, if we looked at verse 10, After this, therefore, pray ye, remember, number one, our Father which art in heaven, so that's obviously to worship God for who He is, hallowed be thy name, worship Him because He's holy. Worship Him. That's the first outline of the prayer, is to worship God. Number two, okay, thy kingdom come, we could spiritually apply that and talk about um, the kingdom of God, which we know doctrinally this is the kingdom of heaven, they're praying for this kingdom to come and set up his kingdom on earth. But we know, obviously, the devil has to set up his kingdom first. 
But if we practically apply that to the Pauline epistles, we could pray for God's will to be done in earth right now, which is to, that we may live a peace, peaceful and quiet life at the end of the day. You know, that's, there's, nothing, there's nothing better than that. At least in America, we still got our freedoms and liberties and stuff. Um, so that's good because at the end of the day, that could be taken away from us. It, it, you know, next thing you know, we're in, you know, that's the whole goal right now is to go to socialism. And all socialism is is distributing the wealth of others and giving it to people. So we have to work, and the money that we make at work, well, we got to give a lot of it to the government so they decide what to do with our money. And what do they do? They're the middleman. What does the middleman always do? They pocket money. <laughs> they, they probably cheat on a lot of people from that. And remember, Nazi Germany was the National Socialistic Party of Germany. That's so crazy. I just about this. Of socialism? Yeah. So that's a basic idea. When you hear the word socialism, all you think about is it's, it sounds like it's a good thing. Oh, free this. I'm going to give free, free college education to everybody. Free this, free that. That's not always. It's not free. It's coming from somewhere, and it's coming from the working class. And, and it's not stimulating people to go to work. And, it's, and you're getting rid of the work ethic because why are people going to go back to work when they can sit on their butts and just get paid out governmental checks? That's going to kill the economy. Look what it did in Venezuela. You know, they, they turned out socialist. It was maybe good for one or two years. 15 years later, it's bankrupt, dead broke. They can't even turn on the transformer to back when their power grid's down. <laughs> so, because there's no value. Because there's no value. Zimbabwe, they printed out a million-dollar bill because they, they were thinking this was going to, you know, re stimulate their economy. It just crashed it. It just killed it because the value of the dollar bill... You know, I'm gonna, let's raise minimum wage. It sounds good, don't it? Yeah. What's that going to do for the middle class? We're not going to get a raise. We're going to stick at $15 an hour. You know, my private, my private company boss can't afford to, to raise us up to $25 an hour. And you're going to get pay a more normal guy. Then, what's the, then what happens? Then you're going to raise the prices of everything. Mm -hmm. So they all got that thing figured out. It may sound good. It, get, it gets people stimulated. And it's like, really, it's going to take a shot at the middle class to make the middle class the lower class, to make the lower class dependent on the government. That's the whole scheme of things. And socialism happens, then what happens after socialism? It's communism. That's the next step. So, you know, the whole thing, it starts out as a republic, the, the laws govern, then a democracy, the people govern, then, uh, then an oligarchy, a select few people govern, then, uh, then a, um, what's it called, a dictatorship, one person governs. So come back to Matthew 6. We're kind of getting off track here. Matthew chapter 6, all right, verse number 12. Here's a good one. Part of our prayer is forgive us our debts. And it says over there in Luke, forgive us of our trespasses. All right, now you want a good practical illustration with that. You come to 1 John. During our prayer, we have to fess up to God. And that's a good thing to say, you know, we, we mess up all the time, and we know we mess up. But God wants us to know, obviously, you know, do you fess up to me? You know, when you mess up, you got to fess up and not try to justify it. And at least, the least we can do is to go to God. Every day in and day out, Father, I'm messing up. Father, I'm messing up. Come back to 1 John. 1 John, the epistle of 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse, uh, look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. This is a good one. 1 John 4, because this, this, this is part of our joy. 
You know, we, we live in a, a, a world of anxiety and a world of depression and a world of sadness and all these things. But look, look at the reason why First John was written. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. The purpose of he's about to write all these things in this epistle is that your joy may be full. Not a teaspoon of it or, you know, half a cup of it, but a full cup of joy, a full thing of joy. This is the message which we have heard of him and, and declare unto you that God is light. Now, here's the point of the epistle of John is to stay in fellowship. So when we confess our sins, look what, look what it says in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So this is the whole purpose is you're saved, but you could be out of fellowship with God if we continue to walk in darkness. We lie and do not the truth because we know the truth. We know what's right. And that's the whole sense of being out of fellowship with God. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So obviously every Christian has sin inside of their flesh again. You know, a good illustration of this is what, what, when we get saved, what gets born again? Could anybody answer that? Spirit. Our spirit. Our flesh does not get born again. That's a good one. You got to think of that one. Our spirit gets born again. All right? Not our flesh. Now look at verse 9. Now notice how he's saying we. If you go through this epistle, I have highlighted we and us. He includes himself in all of this. So the Apostle John obviously has no sin, or obviously has sin in him. Okay? The Apostle John, he was sinless. <laughs> no, look at verse 9, though. If we, John included, he's writing this, he includes himself, you know, we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this isn't in the context of going to heaven or salvation. We don't confess our sins to get saved, but we confess our sins for what? It's fellowship. Highlight the word in the epistle of John, fellowship. That's the whole purpose. When John writes this thing, if we keep the commandments, if we do the truth, if we, if we confess our sins, all these conditional clauses, if we do those things, we have fellowship. Okay, it's not for salvation. And then look at verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So we obviously, we all have sin, and we're told to confess it to God. So come back to Matthew 6. So it's interesting. After the manner, therefore, pray ye, our Lord says, and forgive us our debts. Or in other words, is forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us the things that, that, that we did wrong against you, you know, um, what do we owe God? What do we owe God? A lot. <laughs> we do. And, and at the end of the day, Derek, that's pretty much close to the answer. Everything. If you want a, a verse on it, though, it would be that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So we're almost like indebted to God once we get saved to do what's right and to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. So forgive us of our debts. You know, forgive us of all the things that, that we owe you, Lord, and that we just never pay you. You know, we just never pay our dues. We won't be in debt forever. 
we're, we're going to be in debt forever, you know, but the good, good thing, salvationally speaking, you know, we're, our, our, our debt is paid in full. God did come down and pay for us in full. But when we talk about fellowship, you know, we, we owe him a lot of things up there. Right to where we, yeah, right. We got to try to get our credit score right and try to, you know, we're on a borrowed line of credit here. Yeah. Borrowed life. We're bar every air that we breathe. That's some hard income. You, you, well, right. You, you think about that, though. Every air that we even breathe is because God gives it to us. He gives, he gives, he gives, and gives, and gives. We're so indebted to him. And sometimes, you know, the least he wants us to do is to present your body a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable service. It's reasonable. I did all this for you. I expect some things back from a child of God. That's good stuff. So forgive us our debts. The next part, as we forgive our debtors. So the, peop the people that do wrong to us, that's Matthew 6, verse 12. Matthew 6, 12. So forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. So another part of our prayer life would be to, number one, not to hold grudges. I'll, I'll give you a verse on that. Um, uh, let's see here. I have Mark 11. Mark 11, 24. What's that verse? Mark 11, Mark 11, 24. Mark 11, 24 says, um, no, nah, that's not it. Is it verse 26? Oh, yeah, and when you stand praying, forgive, if you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. So there's a thing of obviously having an unforgiving spirit when it comes to people. Um, I don't know. I thank God that, you know, you, in, a, in, a, in a good way, if anybody got any enemies, or forgive, forgive other people for what they did wrong to us. They might have wrecked our life, and, 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 and you know, many people say, well, you just don't know the whole story. You just don't know what they put me through and stuff like that. Well, listen, God did a lot for us, okay? He went through a lot for us to forgive us, and we disobey him all the time. The least we can do is forgive other people. We forgive one another for Christ's sake. Look at Ephesians, because he forgave us. Look at Ephesians. Yeah, it's in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, this is part of our prayer. We've got to remember this. During our prayer, number one, we worship God. Okay? Uh, number two would be, um, what would be number two? Number two is praying, praying for, uh, you know, things on this earth that we may live a peaceful and quiet life and things. Um, uh, forgive, us, forgive us of our debts. Okay? Confess our sins to Him. And also... Uh, Forgive other people, even in our prayers. Tell it to the Lord. Um, look at Ephesians 4, even Ephesians 4, verse 32. It says, Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, okay? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So that's saying, look, God forgave you, and you were ungodly, disobedient, reprobate, child of the devil, the least you can do is forgive one another. Now, you got to watch out there. You know, we could forgive people, but that doesn't always mean we have to have fellowship with them. You could forgive them. And, if you, and here's the thing. If you know you forgive them, is, you know, there, there's nothing bitter going on between you two. You should be on solid ground. You shouldn't lose no sleep over them. 
You shouldn't get stressed out or have anxiety over anybody like that. Because um, it kind of shows you that, what, what's that verse says, whatsoever things are bound in earth are bound in heaven, whatsoever things are loosed in earth are loosed in heaven. So it sounds like one way or another, you're going to get things straightened out between people when you go to heaven, if they're saved. Um, so it's best, but if you if you have a, a quarrel or a, a, a dispute with people or uh, some type of disagreement with somebody, you don't forgive them here on earth. God's going to bring that up at the judgment seat and say, "How come you didn't settle it? How come you didn't squash that with that person or and, and, and you know forgive them?" Now you got to give account. You may lose some rewards up in heaven. So you know, and what, whatsoever things are loosed here on earth, you have come to an agreement. God's not going to bring that up at the judgment seat. So. There could be some things with there too. Now I skipped a verse. I skipped a big one. Verse number eleven. Come back to Matthew six eleven. Uh, remember, this is part of our prayer life. Um, now here, the, here's the other verses I wanted to give on on forgiving. That, I, I, no, I forgot this one. I forgot this verse here. I, I went over it. I skipped it. One more verse I want to read on on thing is. Um, Grudging. Look at James, well, James 5, 9, I'll read it. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest he be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. So obviously there's a Bible commandment that tells you not to grudge one against another. I don't know, it seemed like back in high school, man, I heard that word a lot, grudges. In, not even high school, it was in like junior high school, where everybody had these grudges and stuff. Oh, like grudging, they were just using that word. I don't hear that word often. Much no more. But do you, you <laughs> see? Yeah, I was like, it was always, it was mainly girls. I wrote, yeah, it was mainly drama. You know, there's a grudge between these two. I'm like, yeah. I just remember hearing that in junior high school a lot. Grudges. But you can't. But a lot of adults hold grudges in their hearts because of what another person did to them 20 years ago or something. Yes, we do. You know, that's a that's a big thing. And that takes a toll on us mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically. Um, now, Matthew 6, here's the other part. After the manner, therefore pray. And here's something that is a very convicting. If this doesn't convict you guys, well, then you guys got a cold heart, okay? <laughs> Matthew 6, 11, Part of our prayer life is this. Give us this day our daily bread. So you, we're literally told to pray to the Father to give us something to eat. When's the last time we actually prayed, Lord, feed me something today? We don't pray that in America. We got these big bellies, you know, and we're eating good over here. We work. We got, we're putting on pounds and stuff. Now, I, this is a big one, you know, missionaries and stuff. One of the Indian missionaries, I forget who told the story, uh, but he told them, um, you really know it's something when, the, when, when you go to America and you see that the poor people are fat. And it was a missionary from India. When, when our poor people, our people on welfare and food stamps, and you look at them and they're 50 to 100 pounds overweight. They're poor, they're poor people, they're on income, governmental income, and yet they're overweight. And that's the poor class. And over in India, if a big heavy person, a poor person in America was to walk around, they'd think that person was bl filthy, bloody rich. Because mm -hmm. anybody that's fat in other countries, they look at that as like, man, he's rich, man. Yeah, like if They're, a fat person came from here to India, and they'd be like, 
oh wow, he's like a king or something. Trying to like hustle him. Yeah, they would because they would think he has a lot. Yeah. So, but you have to think about that. This is the manner of praying. Is we should pray, Lord, help you know, help us get us another meal for the day. We gotta think about that. Um, and, and, and we do live in a day and age where we don't have to actually say that and that's something that God's going to judge us on because we're too comfortable with. We're too, we're too comfortable with our... Uh, we're spoiled. There's no other word for it. It's America's spoiled. And um, I forget the verse in Ezekiel, but one of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't just homosexuality, but it was because they had an abundance of things to where they said... I'm comfortable. I'm content now. We got enough food. We go down to the dollar store. We, you know, everything's convenient. And God judged Sodom and Gomorrah also for that sin too, not only just for sodomy. So obviously he's going to judge America for that one day or another, uh, one day coming soon. Um, um, I'm going to look at another one. Um, okay, back to Matthew 6, 11. Give us this day our daily bread. At least we could do, obviously, is thank the Lord for this food that we got. You know, thank Him for providing it for us. You know, you got to think, you know, that always gets me is people that at least can't even thank the Lord because where did they get that food from? Think about that. Where did they get the food from? I mean, many people say, oh, I worked for it. You know, I work hard and stuff like that. Okay, but that didn't answer the question. Where did that food come from? Where did that material come from that tastes so good? That, that, that piece of food there, God made it. <laughs> God really made that thing. He made all everything, but really think about God is the whole reason why he, he's feeding atheists. He's giving breath to atheists. He, he's a talk about a good, merciful, long-suffering God. And uh, the least we can do is obviously thank Him and uh, thank Him that we got food and, and and to pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. It is, but allow us to be fed, Lord. Okay, now we'll come down to verse thirteen. Okay, then he says, he, he ends it with, um, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, now, lead us not into temptation. Now, if you remember the verse, it says, um, for God doth not tempt any man. Um, where I forget where that's at. Is that in James? For God, oh, here it is, here it is. It's in James 1.13. So there's a there's a, a thing in our in our prayer life to where we should say, Lord, you know, lead us not into temptation. Um, look at look at verse James one twelve. Okay, James one twelve. Now there is something that comes along with temptation though, if you get the victory. A lot of the times we yield to the temptation and we fail. So when you say blessed the man and daughter of temptation, mm -hmm. and when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Mm -hmm. Which the Lord had promised to them, to them that love Him. Right. So, for people that love Him, we'll, we'll get a special crown or something. Yes, but look what it says though: "Blessed is the man that endureth temptation." So you go through the temptation, and it's implied here that you get the victory over that temptation, which I'm going to show you another verse on. In the in a, one of the big ways to get victory from over temptations is how much do we love the Lord. Because if we love the Lord like we say we love Him, then we're not going to yield to that temptation and we're going to do what's pleasing to the Father because we want to love Him. So that's part of it. And yes, at the end of the day, you will receive a crown, crown of life, because you, you did not yield to that temptation. Look what verse 13 says right below it. Let no man 
say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. So that's another kind of a big one too. You know, many people say, well, you know, God puts me in these positions, you know, to always try me and test me. And, uh, and a lot of times you put yourself in those positions. Uh, but God cannot t uh, tempt any, uh, neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted. Here, here's the, here's the answer. When he is drawn away of his own lust. This is, this is and enticed. So think about that. Enticed. That word means to attract or to arouse by offering pleasure or to urge or to lead astray. That's what the word enticed means. So he says the reason of men are tempted, every man is tempted when he is drawn away. What, remember the whole point of fellowship, that's why Paul says to stand, to stand, to stand. Now think about that. How can you stand and yet be drawn away? You're getting pulled somewhere else. Okay? And that's the whole point of what we call backsliding is you're getting pulled back, you know, something got you by the collar, something got you by a hook, you know, a hook or something, whatever, but you're, or by the ankles, something's pulling you. You're getting drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then look at verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Now, it, it is a big, interesting. When we, when we conceive conception, what's that? It's a baby. And, conce and conception's obviously through the, uh, it's uh, something sexual there. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That should scare us and say, I don't want nothing to do with it. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Implying that a lot of, a lot of the brethren, they err and they get led away. They get drawn away of their own lust. Now come to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, lead us not into temptation. Now, a good one is to claim the promises that are in the Bible. 1 Corinthians. Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. We actually memorize this verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So we know that every man has his own lust that he's drawn away with. Okay? Now, we have to come back to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And this should be something that, you know, when we pray to God, God deliver us from, uh, you know, lead us not into temptation God obviously provided a way that we that we cannot be led into temptation which is verse 13 there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man meaning mankind through the scale generally has all the same temptations they usually want money wealth power um, sexual things materials that's pretty much all of it. Money, what is it? Wealth, power, and sex. Those are the three main things that dominate pretty much all. If really, if you break it down biblically, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the three sins that break down all category. You know, Christ was tempted and tried in every point, yet without sin. You got to think about that. Well, how was Christ tempted and tried? He never had a wife. He never knew what it was like to have a kid and, and neglect his child or anything like that. But he was tempted and tried in every point of those aspects. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the three sins that, temptations that get man. Now, verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, 
That's a, good, that's a good way of worshiping him. He's faithful when we're not always faithful. God is faithful. Who will not suffer you, that's allow you, will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Okay, so, but will with the temptation. So here's what he does with these temptations. He'll use those temptations and also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. There's always an 